Hey everyone, before we get started with the Nero podcast, there are a few things that I need to say before you listen to this conversation. It is required by law. I am not a professional trader. I'm not a financial advisor. I hold no credentials that would imply in any way, shape, or form that I'm registered with any government body. I am an educator. Everything I say, do, and speak about is for educational purposes only. Any kind of performance metrics I speak about or my ability to trade is considered hypothetical to you because it didn't happen in your account. Remember, trading is risky and you can and most likely will lose all of your money in trading. Should you wish to seek out professional help, please see a financial advisor. The purpose of this interview is not to sell you on or endorse any of my products or services or my trading philosophy. It is just a friendly conversation with Nero about what trading is and how I think about it. I have put a lot of free educational content on YouTube, so if this conversation piques your interest, then by all means check out my free stuff. Otherwise, enjoy the conversation and the podcast with Nero. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Voice of Nero Special Round. With a wise trader, we've got Triforce Trader, who has been on the path of trading for six years. He is the number one supporter of Neuro-related products. Thank you very much, sir. It's an honor oh. to have you on. This is kind of connected to the segment we did on your study streamer podcast, where you interview me about my path leading into streaming, misconceptions, pitfalls, lessons learned along the way, and what the daily work is like. And I'm turning this around and we're figuring out trading. I don't know shit about it. I've read a few documents, watched a few videos, but we're just going to go through and try to figure out what it is you do, how you're good at it. And also if someone wanted to get started, how can they not mess it up? Yeah, I'll try to give my best opinions on those things. Well, cool. We'll start with your origin story. So as a kid, I just wanted to kind of get a sense of what kind of a kid you were uh, going through school. Were you like a tryhard where you're trying to get good grades and paying attention and stuff? I was never really interested in school. I, even at a young age, I thought that life was just way more complex than <laughs> what people made it out to be. And so I didn't really try at all. And I ended up failing second grade. And then my mom was like, took everything away from me. And said, look, I know you're bored in school, but you need to like at least play their game and get your GED and go to college. And she's like, I know you're going to hate it, but you just got to do it. So I, I went to actually in second grade, I actually had a school during summer, like summer school to make up the work that I didn't do. And then after that, I was like a AB student. So I was on honor roll. But I never really tried that hard at school. I, I found it mundane. I would always get distracted with thoughts and ideas about what I wanted to be doing instead of focusing on what I should be doing. Um, and I played video games since I was like five, six years old. So that's really what I liked to do when I was younger and through school. And as I grew up, I continue to play video games and kind of not really try that hard at school to be honest so not a type a personality i'm 
more very laid back. <laughs> yeah, I definitely get that. I'm more of a type B personality as well, where I go with the flow. I tend to just wing it. Exactly. I wasn't, I wasn't the kind of person who studied a bunch with school. My schooling for middle school, high school, elementary was all about what is the highest possible grade I can get for the least amount of effort. Yes. And uh, 100%. That's, a, that's an energy efficiency approach. Yeah, it's like many people can probably understand. How I got into learning about the stock market was. I was in middle school and one of my teachers told me that, hey, um, we're going to have a stock market competition. And if you win, you won't have to take my final exam. And I was in honors at this point. So all my class were honors, which is uh, basically four tryhards because my mom made me do it. Yeah, and gaming speak, that's heroic difficulty for school. <laughs> what? Honors is heroic difficulty for school. <laughs> yeah, for yeah pretty much. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do this competition. So at this time, computers were just becoming a thing that they're putting in a classroom, like a terminal. Um, before that, you know, it was pretty much just the library and books. And every Friday we had to do like research on a company and we had like a million fake dollars to invest. And at the time, Steve Jobs was just coming back to Apple or there was like news about that. And I always loved Apple products since I was really, really young. And I just threw all of my money in Apple and I had a partner at the time, too. And he was like, dude, don't put all of our money in this company and i was like do you have any better ideas and he was like no so i we did that and the stock ended up doubling in that year and i was like oh my god i made money from doing absolutely nothing and then i asked my teacher in disbelief i was like this is a thing in the real world and he goes yeah i was like so you just put money in and you could get money out without doing anything and he goes yes I was hooked after that. And so at the age of like 13, 14, I went to my local library and I started getting all of these books about trading. And a lot of it was like fundamental analysis, uh, technical analysis, all these things. And I'm reading it and I can't understand how people are making money from it. I learned about Warren Buffett. And so two years go by. I'm just like pounding my face into the desk because I'm just like, how does I've read all these books? I, I don't understand how people are making money. So at the library, after these two years had passed, they were getting rid of all of these books in the library to make room for computers. <laughs> and uh, there's a bin of books that they were just like, take one or else we're just going to put it in the landfill. So I started rummaging through there to try to find books. And I find this book called Don't Sell Stocks on Monday. And there, this guy was basically quantifying how, like, if you buy three days before Christmas, you know, the S&P or an index, it works like 70% of the time. And I was like, holy shit. Like, my world was just, like, shattered at that point. I was like, why is no one talking about this like here's a guy who's tracking data giving you like an edge 
in the market. Yeah, this isn't what's on CNBC, which I was watching at the time, or any of that. So I get to college and I'm talking to one of my friends and he's telling me he's gonna become a computer programmer. And he's like, you'll love it. You'll, you'll absolutely love it. It's like problem solving, all the things that you're into. And I said, nah, I think I'm just gonna do psychology and linguistics. Like that's interesting to me. And he keeps talking to me about it. And in my head, I'm thinking it's like clicks, like, oh my God, I can learn to program and then learn to like apply programming to markets. Okay. And I knew nothing about programming. And when I got to college, this is my first year in college, I um, worked the graveyard shift from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. at the front desk. And at the front desk, all you had to do was let a bunch of drunk kids in and make sure they were okay because they forgot their key card pass or whatever. And I would do my homework and I would teach myself to program essentially. I started out on Python because when I researched Python, it was the only thing that made sense to me. Uh, I looked at C++ and I was like, what the hell is this? And so Python was an interpretive language and it just made common sense to me. So I started using that. I had no idea Python would turn into what it is today. <laughs> so anyways, um, I am teaching myself programming. I have insomnia at this point. I'm going to school all day and then coming back and doing my graveyard shift to make money. And that's all I was really kind of focused on for a bit. And then when I was about 24, so I graduate college, um, my mom passed away from pancreatic cancer. And she told me before she died that she was going to leave me a little bit of money. And so I told her like, hey, this is what I want to do with it. And she was like, you're still doing that? Because to backtrack further or backtrack to my past, when I told my mom about the stock market competition, she basically wrote me off and said, you know, that's nonsense. Don't waste your time. It's all gambling, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, this is a very sensitive subject. Don't want to bring that up again. So she was like, well, you only live once, which I found ironic because here she was on her deathbed and she gave me this whole speech. And then, you know, then I started applying the strategies that I had built, you know, basically between the ages of 18 to 23 to the market. Um, and then the rest is kind of history, as they say. I'm seeing some overlap with the response from family and parents in the sense of trading like poker is seen as a, a risky thing to do that isn't really a a reputable profession like oh yeah i'm so proud of my kid i want them to grow up and be a trader or a poker player usually parents want you to be a, a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or something so it's definitely one of those where you have some wind in your face of people thinking that it's not the ideal course to follow but it seemed like it really got you motivated when you saw that it was a line of work that could actually reap very substantial and tangible rewards and that there were different tools that you could pick up to actually figure this out. Uh, a lot of the conversation about trading I've noticed is very 
gut instinct based. It's almost like horse racing where people will like your Apple example, they'll just believe in a company and they base their trading based on those feelings that they have where you weren't really satisfied with that as a game plan. You felt like there needed to be something more concrete. And whenever you saw this guy's don't trade on Monday, the more analytical approach, you started to get a sort of at least fuzzy picture of how you could hone this into something that made sense that you could rely on. Right. Because like, you know, I played games for so long. Like I used to play Halo competitively um, and I played Starcraft and obviously Starcraft 2. And like all of those games require some level of strategy to kind of like etch out an edge. So it didn't make sense to me that something that involved money that seemed gambling where, you know, if you watch poker, you read about poker, a lot of these guys have edges um, or black, you know, some kind of system to give them a finite edge. And so it didn't make sense to me of why that didn't exist in the market at the time. And, you know, I was also limited to the fact because their Google and all of the stuff was just becoming a thing. And um, I just, I needed to know that. And I was driven not by the money, but because of the puzzle. Like I'm, I'm a puzzler. So like, I also hold two master's degrees one in well actually i'm sorry i hold one master's degree and i'm almost done with the other one um forensic psychology and i got my master's last year uh in financial engineering and forensic psychology for those of you that don't know like you get hired out to like hunt down serial killers or do jury selection there's all kinds of things and it's like the puzzling part is what interests me um financial modeling interests me because it's puzzle solving uh, so that's what really was my main motivation at first sure trading offers like money as if there was a return which is great but for me personally that's was never the main driving force yeah it, it seems more like a a game or a challenge to you that seems to get your competitive fire going a little bit I've noticed that about myself. There are certain subjects where I just don't really feel driven to crush the course. It's kind of like, a, I'm doing this because I have to, not because I'm really thrilled about it. And uh, this is a thing that really made you feel like you could kick ass on your own merits and figure things out and crush it. Yeah, because much like StarCraft, I think that trading, you can get an educator, you can learn from people, you can do all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's like an individual sport. And you either have money in your account or you don't. Like it's, I love how black and white that is. It's like, hey, today was great. Or, hey, today sucked. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so those are the things that I, I truly enjoy. Um, because that's, it's like, yeah, you're right. It's like more competitive, I guess, in that sense. Although I'm not the greatest trader. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, humility is important. I think everyone can improve, but you're also not the worst trader. So, somewhere between those. So I wanted to like get some big picture stuff uh, just so we know what the landscape is like. Uh, a lot of people have seen Wolf on Wall Street. A lot of people know someone who's gotten into crypto. What would you say is like the 
the main bread and butter of understanding trading because there are pennies, there are futures, there are stocks. What stuff do you trade? Yeah, so I'm primarily a quantitative futures trader. That means that I trade commodities, currencies, and index futures. Index meaning like the S&P, the NASDAQ, stuff like that. Commodities meaning oil, natural gas, soybeans. Um, I have in the past trade traded penny stocks, but when I was doing penny stock stuff, the reason I stopped doing that was the brokerage houses you would have to use to short penny stocks back then were super shady. Meaning if you had like a hundred thousand dollar account and you shorted a stock and you made money on it tomorrow, I was literally in fear that the next day the brokerage house would fold. Uh, short selling penny stocks is a great edge. Um, but back then you had to have a special you have to have a special broker in general to do it and it was some of the shadiest shit i've ever seen in my life but <laughs> uh but yeah so i primarily create algorithms on futures market that autonomously trade for me Right. I've compared that to AlphaStar when I've seen some of your stream before, where it's not just you microing every single trade that you do. You have a few different algorithms, kind of like the different AlphaStar archetypes that would have a certain strategy. And you as a trader are the total of all your different strategies that are running at a given time. And overall, they win more than they lose. Yeah, exactly. So I'll have like strategies that are based on the idea of like trend following um, or mean reversion or seasonality or, uh, you know, volatility regimes or stuff like this. And then they'll all trade. And then some years, um, like, let's say the volatility portfolio that has uses those kinds of algorithms they'll trade and they'll do really well and then the other ones will do okay and then of course you'll have your losers right so the idea is is like you don't know which market regime you'll be in but if you can kind of like trade seven to 15 uncorrelated markets using different styles of regimes um then you should be okay in the end it's the idea and it seems similar to poker it's becoming more and more digital as a marketplace and profession than it used to be in the past uh, people have more tools to assist them with making these kind of trades than they did a long time ago like people aren't i think a lot of people they get the mental picture of people yelling loudly with papers like flying around in the new york stock exchange but that's not what you do yeah, so the iconic image of the market is people on the floor yelling at each other, giving paper back and forth, stuff like this. But that doesn't exist anymore. So everything is done electronically now, and that image is now dead. <laughs> so... A lot of people are just sitting behind their screens, trading 
a lot of people are quote unquote day traders. 90% of day traders lose 90% of their money in 90 days. That's an actual statistic. Um, and a lot of people are just not serious about trading and it's always me versus the market, stuff like this. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not the same as it used to be, that's for sure. The idea of trading definitely has changed. It's just that these iconic images are still used uh, to this day to promote that me versus market mentality. This 90-90-90 thing that you cited, what do you think is causing them to fail? Like, what are they doing that they think is going to work, but it doesn't? A lot, like I said, a lot of people don't have an edge. So in my opinion, if you do not have a statistically backed edge of what you're doing, then you shouldn't be trading. Like, why would you bet on a hand that you don't understand? And then the second thing is a lot of people just like to gamble, I think, um, and like the idea of trading, but actually don't want to put in the work to learn how to trade. They just do not possess the ability to take losses. They just keep doubling down until they go bust, basically. So it's lack of education mainly overall. And then I think what also feeds into that nowadays is there's a lot of like people out there that are promoting like lifestyle marketing, trading is easy, uh, Lambo lifestyle, stuff like this. And then they get wrapped up in, I need to make a million dollars tomorrow. And then inevitably they blow up. So I think all of those things culminate in a 90, 1990 rule. Uh, if I were to put my thumb on it, it's just lack of education and understanding really what it comes down to. And then also doing the work to obtain an edge. If, if I go, so if I go to someone and I say, look, you're going to need to spend two to three years studying this before you, before you trade, like that's not appealing, right? That's not what that guy on YouTube said. That's not what CNBC says. Um, it's just like anything else. It takes work and practice. Um, and people don't want to do that. They just want to get lucky, basically. Yeah, I had a similar experience when I first started poker where I went into it without an edge, but I felt like, hey, I'm good at games and I'm pretty bright and I got a cognitive science degree, so I understand how people think and people bet money on poker hands and they suck at decision making and games because I took decision making in university. The thing that I failed to do was figure out what my solid strategy was. So my first hundred bucks that I put into a online poker account in Canada, I put into a bunch of different tables and I was just sitting at a internet cafe in Vancouver playing poker. And I was losing on all four of my tables just consistently. And this happened for a couple days. This is playing with pennies. So I'm not really breaking the bank doing this, but still I was really concerned. Like if I can't win at the very lowest stakes of poker, am I just bad or am I just really unlucky today? And the first thing I did after being very crushed and saddened with how the day went was go to bed early. And then when I got up, I was just going to read some poker forums and see what strats people were using for it. And I got there and I didn't even understand what the different words meant. And that was a big red flag for me. It's like, I'm actually a complete and total noob and I have no idea what the fuck is going on. But I thought that I did. I thought that I knew the game well enough that I should be able to win 
but it turns out that the game is way deeper than you expected and the players are a lot better and you do need to have a few things that you're doing smarter than they were. I just went into it with the same kind of headspace as most noobs to poker where if you win sometimes that must make you think that you're kind of a good player when actually you're not. So I would guess that trading is confusing in a similar way where a unwise or an unskilled trader can make a, a buck here and there. Like you can have a, a good investment that pays off for you and that can create this illusion that you actually know what you're doing when you really don't. And that kind of ties into the, the big picture uh, question that I had for you, which is how do you deal with the swings? Because I think there might be some mindset overlap between trading and poker, where sometimes you actually do make some trades you would consider decent at the time, but they just don't work out for you. And it doesn't really look great on your revenue month to month because it's not a salary job. Uh, it's based on your decisions and the market. And sometimes the market just sucks. So how does that feel for you? How do you manage those swings? Taking losses when I, when I first started, you know, hurt a lot. I took them personally. Uh, and the reason I took them personally was even though I had a strategy and even though I had been studying all that time, right? I mean, it doesn't guarantee you that you'll be successful, but I felt like because I was losing and this was like money that my mom had given me and she had just passed away, like somehow I was disrespecting her. So like every loss was like a tiny paper cut. Um, and so to get, eventually I just got over that. Uh, I probably shouldn't have been trading right after my mom had passed away, to be honest. Eventually I just, I don't know. I just kind of was like, you know, it is what it is and just let my edge play out. I've done all the work. I've done all the research. Um, I have my stops in, I have my exits. I have like an account stop just in case like anything gets very out of hand. And I just kind of let it be because you don't know when the next trade is going to be a winner, right? So like, I don't know that this sequence of trades is going to be a mixture of all winners, all losers. Um, so I just have to be patient um, with the strategies that have worked on for years to come up with. And it's an arms race. I continue to make more to really just let it play out. You know, I, I, I there was a day I took like $186,000 loss, you know, relative to my account size at that time, you know, it was like less than 10%. It hurts, but it didn't like stop me from trading or anything um, because I was just confident in the work I had done before, I guess. I, I don't think mentality is actually too important when it comes to the way in which I trade. I think the most important thing is to one, have an edge. Now, if you can't pull the trigger on that edge for whatever reason, then you should worry about your like psychology. But for me, I've never been a proponent of that. Yeah, the point you made about the, yeah, the paper cuts in your real life expenses, uh, that's something that many people don't know what it feels like before they get into it. Uh, I felt a similar thing where you can understand the concept of a $100 bet 
in a poker hand, but then once you're actually putting your $100 that you've earned on the line, that's some of your grocery money or that's some of your rent money. Like you should keep the bankroll separate, but the amounts of money that people are trading in, people associate with real items. So when you take a big loss, a lot of people are thinking about the losses in terms of real world stuff, which uh, I think is a really important overlap between both poker and trading, which is you should have a totally separate bankroll, right? So all of your money that you use for trading, it doesn't intermingle with your living expenses, payments on houses or cars or any of that other stuff. So you're never putting yourself at risk. Anything that you invest in that department, it kind of grows or shrinks on its own. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point too. Like I never trade with money that I can't afford to lose either. Um, that's like a huge part of my mentality of if I lose all of my money in this account, I would be fine. Um, so I think that's also a very, very important rule. I just don't think about stuff like this other than when people ask me and that's not, I'm not the greatest resource on like trading psychology. I have just set up things for myself. Like, you know, don't trade more than you can afford to lose. Um, have, you know, obviously risk management built into the algorithmic systems, uh, have a, have an account stop. And outside of that, just see what happens. Kind of tying things in, you were talking about having a type B personality. So a lot of the tilt management stuff isn't really as major of a focus for you. Like you wouldn't say that it's the more difficult part of trading. Yeah. So I think a lot of traders and just people in general, they are very scared of always like losing money, which is also another thing that feeds into the fact that they're not successful traders. Just like, like you have to take risks to make money. Like it's implied. You can't have black without white. Black implies white. Like winning implies losing. These like things go together. And a lot of people just at the end of the day are just not comfortable taking risks and uh, letting things like work out or just, you know, taking a loss. People always want to be right, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the market tells you like, hey, you're right or you're wrong. And just people can't can't handle that. But risk management is a big part of what I do. I just don't because everything is automated. I don't have the same. I don't know, clinginess or same kind of outlook that a lot of traders do have where they're constantly stressing about every single position, every single loss, every single thing. I just kind of do the work up front and let the system do its thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not everyone trades in this sort of manner, though. So I yeah, guess the people who have a more like direct hand in each of the individual choices is going to be more emotionally affected by it. Yeah, and um it's it's very important to have risk and like and like i said before i also set up the context for that risk right like i'm not trading with money that i need um i am just trading with money i can afford to lose and i'm not you know i'm not making all of those classic mistakes that a lot of people make i guess mm -hmm. yeah the general recommendation for managing a poker bankroll is that you don't ever sit with more than a 20th so five percent of your overall bankroll at any given time 
because there is the potential that maybe you have a very skilled and correct knight and you play well, but you just get a bunch of bad luck, or it's a combination of bad play and bad luck. You want to make sure that your account isn't going to swing all the way down to zero uh, whenever you're playing, because there is a decent bit of luck involved even for a good player. And I think that's an overlap between trading and poker in that bad players are a big part of what makes the market winnable. People who go in without an edge and without a plan and they sit at the table thinking that they're very smart, maybe going off some playbook that someone else has posted and they have some confidence in that and they do win sometimes and they kind of fancy themselves a really good player. And uh, one thing that I've noticed from unskilled poker players who think that they're skilled is that they've got a story or a couple stories of some really epic hand where they were in this spot and they made this amazing bluff for this amazing play. Uh, but that doesn't make you good. It's not just like you can just trade one time really smart and then you're set. Like you have to consistently represent your edges over time against a evolving and adapting market that is getting more skilled over time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, all the parallels that you just talked about are definitely in the trading world for sure. So, um, I think those those things are way beyond important. And again, as we talked about before, people just kind of jump in feet first into trading and without thinking about any of these things. And that's ultimately what leads to their demise. Mm-hmm. One thing that I found really entertaining about your Twitter feed is like whenever you can call out other people who are clearly full of bullshit with all this kind of stuff yeah so i've i've gotten threatened multiple times like lawsuits against me um because again what we talked about earlier was a lot of people claim a lot of things and don't provide like any kind of evidence of like a track record it's like anyone can start an education service in trading or literally anything these days um and that's fine okay like you know, I'm not the, maybe I'm not the best teacher. Maybe someone else is, right? Um, you don't have to be a, a trader to be an education coach, which a lot of these people on YouTube, they do that. The issue I have is they will uh, claim like, oh, I made $500,000 today, okay? Um, and present no account statements, no nothing. So what I did was, is I would call those people out and be like, hey, that's great, but can you show me your account statement? Uh, and then I would just hear nothing or I would get literally cussed at, bitched at, uh, I'm going to sue you, blah, 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 blah. And I would just burn these fake people down, honestly. Uh, and then that had actually a negative effect on me uh people thought like wow try is a dick um you know why would he do this he should just stay in his own lane because the reason i was doing it was as i felt like they were taking advantage of people um and then so recently i worked with this company called kinfo which allows traders to verify third party their track records. And I verified one of my smaller accounts over the last like four years on there. 
Um, and anyone can verify their trades. And if you actually do well, you'll become what we call a kinfluencer, which is not my, I did not name it that they, they named it that I just worked with them on the broker integration to the website. So, um, you know, that was just to basically dispel the fake gurus because I think people are honestly gullible and they buy into the dream selling and they just don't know any better. Um, there are great people that can like Photoshop things. So I worked with a company like that and I used to be on Twitter when I was like mid twenties, I used to be very, 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 very aggressive. Um, I'm 31 now. I've kind of just stopped doing that. And I kind of approached it from a way of like, well, instead of yelling at people or, you know, shoving shit down their throat, like, let me just offer my own spin and education. And if they see the truth in what I'm saying, then they see the truth. If they don't, they don't. Because you can yell at someone as much as you want. You can burn fake people down as much as you want, but at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything if they're not willing to listen. So I was, I'm just like, okay, well, I'll just make a platform where people can verify. Um, I'll make education for free on YouTube so they can, uh, you know, see my point of view and maybe that like wakes them up to what is actually like what trading is it's not easy it's not a get rich quick thing you're not going to be in a lambo tomorrow um and that you know if someone claims like hey i made this much money that they should be able to offer proof um and that's all i can honestly do for the community because i've tried it the other way and it was a severe backlash <laughs> so i think a lot of people were probably where you were as a kid where they see someone with that big claim of I made 500k yesterday, uh, sort of like you bet it all on Apple for your school project and it paid off. And they want that to happen to them too. And they're kind of looking for some guru who's willing to give them that promise of, hey, I made this much money this fast, just follow me, like buy my coaching and stuff like that. And this will happen to you too. But that's never guaranteed. So it seems pretty difficult from a student's perspective to be able to discern a good teacher on this front. Right, exactly. And not and no one has like all the answers. Um you know, I just I tried to be the person I would have wanted to see when all of these like fake gurus started popping up, but it just ended up backfiring in my face all the time. And then I'm like, well, like if yelling at people and like bashing them doesn't work or waking, you know, wake people, you know, wake people up, then what's another alternative to this route? When I was verifying all my trades, though, people were emailing me constantly about like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And at the time I was just like, uh, just follow this person or go somewhere else. Like, I don't want to deal with that. And it just kept coming and coming. So I just eventually made an education course. Um, I did a lot on YouTube. I did a lot 
you know, people can pay for it if they want it. If they don't want it, I don't care. I don't really market that stuff too often. And um, it was really just to stop the emails from coming in. It's like, hey, here's a course or just watch my free YouTube content. And, you know, I don't have time to answer 100 emails a day and just don't have time. Yeah, so you're not primarily a coach. You do some education and teaching. Yeah, so I have, so like, I have like a hundred hours of education that people can pay for if they want. Um, And then I have like a couple, I don't know, 30, 40 hours on YouTube or if they want or that I've done over the years. I hate it and love it all at the same time because my time is better spent building models that's what i enjoy Mm -hmm. but i also like the teaching aspect from a selfish perspective in which i get to tell people my ideas my thoughts my opinions and I don't know, pass on my knowledge in a way. And it also makes me learn my knowledge better. So I really like that because when you're trying to explain quantitative analysis to a person who has no idea what that is, that takes a certain finesse Mm -hmm. um, and true understanding of what you're talking about, because you're going to have to explain it to them very simply um at first right and then you kind of like build off of that so you know i built my course content so people would stop emailing about do i have a course and it's like yeah if you want to take it here it is if you don't i don't care and then i built my youtube stuff because that was also a secondary approach of you know instead of yelling at people and burning them down on twitter uh, they could just find another an alternative source to information. There are not a lot of retail traders that are quants or algorithmic traders like myself, especially when I first started. I mean, it's starting to gain some popularity now, um, but years, 10 years ago, unheard of in the retail space, in a hedge fund space, sure. So I'm thinking about the connection here between StarCraft coaching and your kind of coaching. I resonate with the it's a mixed bag where sometimes you really enjoy teaching and other times you don't. For me, a lot of it depends on the student and what the student actually wants. I think a lot of students, they want the result. They want that positive of now I'm making money or now I'm gaining MMR, but they don't really want to embrace the process of learning the stuff that might be on the less fun side. Because your work, I would guess for some of it, you get a sort of satisfaction and feeling of fun of making all the algorithms work, seeing them grow, seeing some of them fail and adjusting them and having satisfaction in that process. But the day-to-day, would you consider it fun? Is it like an enjoyable thing? Yes. The fun part is um, besides me teaching in a simplistic way, the fun part for me overall is watching my students have aha moments (laughs) so like i remember the first person that like he was like i've never programmed before and then in class i had like taught them how to do like a simple program like how to do some data analysis 
and he like did it and he was like this is amazing and then he wrote like a whole nother thing that wasn't even part of class and he's like i think i finally get it those kinds of things are extremely enjoyable for me to see so i wanted to get a sense of what the daily rhythm is like because you don't have a clock in clock out kind of a job <laughs> job God. Uh, it's it's also not like streaming well you do stream in addition to it but uh what is your general <laughs> yeah um yeah so what like day to day i um will go to bed at like two or three in the morning and then I will wake up usually around like eight or nine. I'll check the markets. I've built a program so that when my algorithms like take trades like during the night, sometimes that happens because I trade like 23, 24 hour markets. It will text me my positions of like what I took during the, the nighttime, what price, all of that. I'll just check it to make sure like, there's no weird things like, hey, you bought a hundred contracts yesterday and or last night, and it's like, wait, what? Uh, so I just check to make sure like it's running, everything's running okay. Then I come to my office, I'll answer a couple emails, um, talk to my students, uh, talk to my. I have like that. I have like thirteen hundred people in my free Discord. Um. So that has like all of my trading philosophy, what I think about trading, YouTube videos, all my free content. I give a ton of free content out. And so I check on that, interact with those people. Then I'll go downstairs, get breakfast, then come back upstairs, program for like a little bit. It's like usually I'm working on like five different things all at once. And um, then I'll go for my old man walks and I'll come home. I'll do some weightlifting, do some boxing for like an hour. Then go back, you know, eat, go back to my desk, continue to program, do my watch list stuff for because I have like a newsletter, do some newsletter stuff and then continue programming until the wee hours of the night. And then sometimes, you know, I don't feel like doing anything at nighttime. So I'll play like Heroes of the Storm, Starcraft, Halo pokemon something like that stream if i want to i'm not a really consistent stream <laughs> um there was a time where i thought about doing like live uh youtube trades so i did that for like a week where i just let people watch my screen of like an algorithm trading in real time but people were like, but you're not there for commentary. We can't see the charts. All we can see is your entries and your exits. And it's like, what more do you want? Like, it's a free stream, like mm -hmm. on a live account. So there's that evidence as well. And um, it's just, yeah, that's pretty much my daily routine, so to speak. So I think you said in there that the algorithms are making the trades around the clock. Yes, if the edge is there, yeah, if the edge is there, like they'll trade and that could be while I'm asleep. That could be during the day. Um, it just depends on what the system is per se. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to connect this with the closest analogy that I have, which would be sitting at different poker tables where they have different uh, small blind, big blind. So you need to have more money to be able to sit there and do well at that table because all the other players have more money. So 
for each category, I think you're basically saying that you need to represent an amount that you can actually juggle those contracts at that level for you right. to be able to be successful. And if you don't have enough to buy in, basically you're not going to be able to win and it wouldn't be wise to play in that market. Right. And like, because I'm a quantitative trader, I know that if I trade all of these algorithms, so let's say I have seven markets that are uncorrelated and we check for correlation by taking the average daily or the daily returns of a market and using a Pearson's correlation matrix to decide how correlated are these markets. Now correlation is not stagnant, meaning it moves around, but we just say on average, S&P has no correlation or you know, 0.3 negative correlation to gold. Let's just say that ex that's true, okay? Then we could say if we trade the S&P and we trade gold, we have actual diversification, okay? So with that being said, if I'm trading seven assets that have a negative correlation, so I'm trading the S&P, I'm trading bonds, I'm trading gold, I'm trading oil, I'm trading natural gas, I'm trading soybeans, I'm trading the euro currency, the Japanese yen, something like that, all of those in a basket, and each of those have their own algorithmic systems based on some idea like volatility, seasonality, something like that, I will know, like, look, I need at least this amount of money to just trade one contract in each of those markets, right? Mm -hmm. So but what I mean by I don't overbet, so I'm not using any betting strategies. So it's like if I have $100,000 to that dedicated portfolio or less, right? It's one contract per system per markets, okay? If I had a $500,000 account, I would just trade five contracts per system, per market. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So yes, you'd have, of course, to buy a contract or to buy shares of stock or to buy any of those things, you need at least a minimum amount of money, of course, which is what you would reference to a quote unquote buy-in, right? Yeah. But I'm saying I don't do any kind of betting strategies. I just bet straight in the sense like for every $100,000 is the amount of contracts I would trade. Yeah, so you're basically investing all the amount for that account in the proper distribution that allows your algorithms to win in that space. Yes, and it also depends on what kinds of algos these are too, because every single contract in the futures market has, you have to put up something to gain the contract. So if, let's say, for example, I wanted to buy one crude oil contract, um, I would have to put up, let's say, $5,000. That means from my account, $5,000 would come out. Now the value of that contract is worth a certain amount. So in crude oil, for example, for every one cent move up and down, it's $10. So if I'm long and I'm, I want crude to go up and it moves 20 cents up, okay, then I will make, you know, 20 bucks. Right. So, but to hold that contract, $5,000 came out of my account. Now, when I sell that contract, if win or lose, I get that $5,000 back plus or minus whatever I won or I lost. It's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. So that is 
it's definitely something you have to take into consideration. People are just more comfortable with stocks because it's like, if this is a $1 stock and you buy a thousand shares, how many, how much money do you need to have? It's a thousand dollars, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's just simple math. When you start talking about contracts and futures, people are like, what are you talking about? It's just because that is not marketed to the general population. Um, but I find yeah, I, I wouldn't normally expect someone who was talking about trading to either say the word contracts or futures. Usually <laughs> it's stocks, pennies and crypto. Yes. Crypto is just on people's brains. I get crypto questions all the time, especially during Agent Smith, which he doesn't know anything about that. Uh, just as a general pass, what is crypto? Why do people want to ask traders about it? Do you mess with that at all? Yeah, so, I mean, I think everyone understands the basic concept of cryptocurrency, right? Like, the idea is, is that uh, it is a currency that is for the people and has no monetary central government watching it. So, meaning the value is derived from everyone and not just a bank or, you know, well, really, the bank or the government saying this is how much money it's worth, right? And increasing and decreasing interest rates, all of that stuff. So that's the idea of cryptocurrency in a nutshell. Okay, I'm not a crypto expert. I don't give a shit about crypto. But that's the basic understanding. And the only thing that they leave out is that cryptocurrency is really being traded for dollars. <laughs> So when people are trading cryptocurrency, they're trying to make money in dollars and not cryptocurrency, which I find comical in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but cryptocurrency is just like trading anything else, in my opinion. It's like trading dollars, uh, euros, Japanese yen, uh, or any market in general. It's just become popular because the idea is cool, I guess. It reminds me very much of the 1999 tech bubble or 1987 run up before the crash. Um, you know, cryptocurrency idea is great. Is Bitcoin going to be that currency? Probably not. And remember that in order for it to become a legitimate currency, uh, the government would have to approve it. And if they did approve it, they would be giving up their power, which they will never do. So mm -hmm. if you believe in cryptocurrency, there's two things that you would need to happen in order for cryptocurrency to become a legitimate thing that you invested in and made your billions of dollars. And that would be that... Um, the government approves it and you have an over a 15% adoption rate right now it's sitting at 1%. And the reason 15% is like a magic number is if you actually track how things get adapted into society, you'll see that between 12 and 15% adaptation of an idea or in this case, a currency or a toy or anything snowballs into like 60% pretty quickly. So, um, you know, that would legitimize the currency in and of itself. But as it stands today, it's just another thing to trade. Uh, so to clarify the term, 
adopting it would be people accept that as a valid form of currency. Like you yes. go to the store and you could buy some shit with Bitcoin. Yes, and you and can that's do it 1% right now. Yeah, and you can do that right now. Okay. But I'm saying that if it got up into a level where more people were using that current like Bitcoin, because right now the government does not take it seriously. Okay. Because it, all of it gets denominated back into dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, at the end of the day, it's still dollars and they tax you at 50%. Okay. It's insane. But they're not taking it very seriously. And if more and more people started using it, especially in the United States or China or wherever, and it became like a thorn in the government's side, they would immediately shut it down. Immediately. Because monetary policy, like fiscal policy in general, is a, it's a form of control on population. If you control the money supply, right, you have ultimate control. Why would the government give that up? Um, it's not something that the people can just will into existence without a fight, is my point. Mm -hmm. So right now, as it stands, in my opinion, I just think cryptocurrency is like another thing that people can trade and enjoy trading and more power to them. Like Pokemon cards. Yes. <laughs> in that way i mean if we really want to get to another like philosophical level all money is an illusion right someone comes along and says that has value and the question is but why right so we all agree as a society that this paper is worth something when you know tomorrow the government could come out and cancel all debt because the government came out and said listen everyone's debt it's gone people's minds would explode but it's something that they could do for sure. Um, it's just an illusion that we all play into. But if the people as a general, this is the danger of cryptocurrencies to the government. If cryptocurrency gets adopted as the main source of like what people use in terms of like bartering for goods and services. Okay. What the government's response isn't going to be, oh, that's fine. That's fine, you know? And then the other part, the other piece of cryptocurrency that interests me most is the technology behind cryptocurrency. That's the most interesting piece. Um, there are a lot of things that can be done, which is like an entirely subject of its own. Um, so there's that. That's my, my two cents on it all. Yeah, I like uh, Fuzzy Cord breaking it down. Money fulfills three primary roles, store of value, medium of exchange, and a unit of account. And then he added for a lever of control, which is what you <laughs> mentioned there. But yeah, yeah I, if you go way, 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 way back in the day, people were trading like furs for fruits and vegetables. Like they were trading actual tangible stuff. And with currency, you get to make that a lot more fluid. Say you have furs, but someone doesn't want to buy those. Uh, you can just give them a more neutral form of currency that is cash money uh, for whatever you're trying to get. It makes trading things a lot easier. The thing with crypto is since its uh, adoption is less than 1%, you can't spend it everywhere. So it's not as versatile of a currency yet. 
I have no idea why it rises and falls as much as it does, but people are very excited about that. And I think people, they just see it as another game where money is going up and down and they feel like maybe they could get rich doing that. And there are a lot of people who are likely those false guru types who are going to tell you all the different secrets for how you can get rich. Yeah. And I, and you know what the, the cool part is, is there are people who have made millions in cryptocurrency. I mean, there's a kid younger than me, younger than you, like early twenties. I think he was like a teenager. He made millions in crypto, uh, you know, and that's, that's cool. But at the same time, is that going to be everyone's experience? Probably not, you know, and I think Bitcoin for a really long time had a whole slew of like these guru types, you know, proliferating the interwebs with their ads for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I just, it's just, again, it's another thing to trade. And if you enjoy trading it by all means, you know, trade it but it's not really what i what i focus on yeah it's not your jam but anytime there's any podcast running on any topic there are going to be <laughs> cryptocurrency questions so we can cross yeah. that off the list thank you very much for sharing <laughs> your thoughts on it uh there is a good question in the chat about fulfillment so as a trader you do your work uh, it seems like you have fun with the process of training the algorithms and seeing how they work, adjusting them, and the mechanics of the work are fun to you. But like on a personal level, do you like it? Are you proud of it? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm fulfilled in what I do. I, it doesn't take actually much for me to be content in general. But like I said earlier in the podcast, I, I like the puzzle. I like the, the mental game of it. And that's what keeps me doing it. Um, the teaching part is also, I think, good and bad. Uh, that also fulfills me. I would say there was a point, though, you know, when I didn't have a I like quit my job. I was trading full time and I was by myself and I had been used to being in a working environment. There was a good period of like depression about that just because I didn't have the social interaction anymore. But I've never not been entertained or fulfilled from just trading there are people out there that you know they need to feel like they make an impact on the world and i guess through trading i've made impact on people's lives in some ways um but that's i don't play really that moral game i don't and i don't like the game rules of morality so i choose not to think or participate in them well, it's a pretty tricky like social game for people to play, which is, is your profession and career amazing enough for you to be proud of yourself and how everyone always has that notion of, for me, uh, people on paper would have seen my work as being more fulfilling and a better contributor, uh, contributor to society if I was not neuro and if I just went from my bachelor's in cognitive science, got my PhD and did research and published in journals. That would have been the most like fancy and reputable <laughs> thing. But for me, I have a really major desire to entertain. I like being on stage and making funny faces and doing funny voices and dance around and shit. And I also like going fast and competing and fighting. 
So StarCraft streaming allows me to do a whole bunch of that at once. So I just enjoy the the day-to-day -day of being able to be most myself, which I think that's a really key part of fulfillment in your work as well. It's not just what your grandma says is reputable. It's also what you feel is fun. Right, exactly. And I mean, because life is short and I don't know when I'm going to die. And so I'd rather just do things that I enjoyed. Going back to me being younger, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I, I just basically did what I want, even though I was failing school. So um, until I got my act together, I mean, who fails the second grade? That just seems sad. But um, yeah, I, I agree with this. And I don't know. I've done things, too, that I'm also proud of for the trading community in general. Like I built with that company, Kinfo, like a place where you can verify people's trades third party. Right. That's a personal thing for me where it's like that will help the trading community in the future. You know what I'm yeah, saying? You're helping other like aspiring traders to not get duped by people who don't actually trade. Exactly. And so if they see someone on the internet and they say, hey, can I see your account statements? Right. And the guy is like, oh, no, that's personal. It's like, good. I 100% I agree with that. That's personal. Here, upload it to the site. Like log in with your account. It will use an API key. It will retrieve all of your trades and you can verify. Right. And if they're if they start to act sketch about that, then they're probably hiding something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I'm kind of proud of, too, is, is like so my friend and I built this software called Build Alpha. And basically. I've taken all the things I've learned about how to build trading systems and put it into like a software that guides the user and how to create a robust trading strategies, essentially. Um, he also did a major, a lot of work on that too. He's a much better programmer than me. Um, but we kind of worked on that project together. And if someone comes in and is like, I don't know how to program, I don't know how to do anything, it will actually build trading strategies for you on data that you give it and do validation techniques to test, you know, is the strategy robust? Does it have a good likelihood of, you know, working in real time? Um, and if you don't know how to program, it will actually print code for you in like five different platforms. Um, and so if I died tomorrow, I could feel comfortable being like, there's a robotic version of me. <laughs> <laughs> in some way with my skill set that's taken me like 15 years to like get even decently good at uh and that piece of software has helped hundreds of people because now it's not just me saying a bunch of shit and me having to do all the teaching it's like here's a piece of software uh this is how you do it this is what all these things mean this is how it can help you um you can add your own uh signals if you know some python programming if you want and you can test every single idea uh, we give you five thousand different signals as well so that's something i'm also very proud of it's taken us five years to develop it in millions of lines of code 
but we finally have it in a place that's like this is good so that's another thing i'm proud of and i think i've done very well trading i've been consistent i've had no years where i feel like wow i'm gonna be homeless that's like a godsend um i have great students i get fulfillment from teaching so there's a lot i'm very blessed in a lot of ways i just uh, heard the meme of whenever you said that there's a version of you in a software it's like someone asks you hey do you feel fulfilled in your job well i have achieved immortality <laughs> by pouring my soul into this software <laughs> program that is basically me wow <laughs> who knew that immortality was to be found in this uh, line of work uh, oh that's awesome uh, i think a lot of finding fulfillment is about pointing to stuff that you know that you have done. I talk about this uh, with regards to confidence as well, because I don't think that confidence is as much like self-esteem where you should just uh, think highly of yourself. It's more looking back on the history of times when you met a challenge and you persevered and you pushed through it. And you know that when another challenge comes up, you can trust yourself because you have those uh, merits behind you so you're not just asserting all these different things there are different uh, programs that you can point to that are evidence of your success yeah exactly but i i don't know i just with the trading world in general and as it comes to retail traders i just want to make an impact to where people don't feel as like lost as I did when I first started and give them tools to be able to hopefully succeed. These are things that I, I never had. Um, and we've done it in a big way when it comes to the software uh, and through the education. Like, I'm not the most popular financial person, but I mean, the people that are serious, they, I think they have a good experience with it. I mean, and that's all one can really ask for. I, I'm doing the thing that I love to do, and it's turned into many different things for me, and uh, I enjoy it. I, I truly enjoy it. It was just at the beginning, it was more or less hard to just like not see people for long periods of time, you know? So that was about it. Badass. And you don't have a boss, correct? You are self-employed. Yeah, I'm self-employed. Sweet. I think that's a, a blessing that's easy to forget about too, where <laughs> you get to make your own schedule. And a lot of people I think are just contemplating self-employment options and with the way that 2020 went with quarantine and stuff that's something that uh, probably impacted you less that leads into another question about just how was the market in 2020 because i've heard from some people that if you made all your money in 2020 you're probably not the best uh, form of financial advice and stuff was really weird uh, how was it from your point of view oh i mean it was fucking crazy um the volatility was insane so for example i measure things simply just by putting what i call it's it's called average true range and it looks at the last 20 days and it's just a measurement of like volatility of like let's say the s p um you know it hit 200 so that means the market in a 20-day period was moving an average of like 200 points 
which is about 10 grand per contract. That was bigger than 2008, 2009. It was just, it was an insane year, and a lot of people made a killing. I don't know if you can just blanket statement and say the people who made a lot of money in 2020 don't know what they're talking about. I don't think you can ever blanket statement and stuff like that. But I definitely think for people that were like day traders and stuff who made a killing, they they had been doing it probably for a while and then they made a lot of money. Like, How yeah. many algorithms do you have, roughly? A couple hundred, I want to say. Okay. Again, they may have similar characteristics, though. So they're not like unique. Like they may do similar things, but they're looking for something slightly different. It, it's highly dependent on uh, what kind of strategy. So um, there's a couple of YouTube videos where I give like seasonal trades. There's five different ways to do seasonality in that portfolio all five ways are expressed right but you could make the simplifying assumption that you know maybe there's like 20 or 30 different algos that are unique but there may be 60 algos in there but they all they all have different traits because they may be trading intraday they may be trading longer term does that make sense yeah so you have bigger archetypes of the algorithms and then you have some slight deviations <laughs> within those um someone mentioned rts metagames of like old builds and new builds how you can have it's mostly the same build but there's a slight difference to it uh for a starcraft example specifically uh you could say that there's a 2-1-1 terran format of a build it could be double medivac marine with stim or it could be a couple hellbats with it and single medivac those are right. overall a very similar build where they have all the same buildings but they just swapped a few different things and it also uh it engages with the zerg differently so maybe one of them is going to be way more successful in one particular match than the other one would so i would guess your algorithms are yes. similar to that nero this is why i always tell you dude starcraft players make the best traders in my opinion <laughs> It's yes, it's the it's the exact it's it's very much that idea, one hundred percent. When you're designing an algorithm or you're designing kind of like any trading strategy, you're looking for robustness, right? I want the algorithm that's not the best, right? But not the worst. But the dude or the algo that can just take a couple punches in the face and still continue to work. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of another reason why a lot of traders fail going back to that is they're constantly on the hunt for a the perfect system. It doesn't exist. It just does not exist. And there's no perfect method. There's no perfect way of doing things. Um, all I could ever do is just offer my opinions about what has worked for me, right? Um, but there are traders out there that make more money than me. There are traders out there that uh, do things way different than I do, and they're still successful. And it doesn't mean that one way is right or wrong. This is just a way that I think about things and therefore um, helps me trade.
Yeah, I was thinking about that in terms of a like philosopher's stone of trading. Can you have an algorithm that never loses? And <laughs> with the volatility of how things work and I think a big problem in it is the human factor of a lot of people are making these trades and these bets on things just based on human gut instinct and intuition. And you can't really quantify or predict that because it, it varies so much based on just random clickbait news things that happen. If people say, buy crypto now, and then they're just, they jump on it based on that abrupt news that came up. So yeah, you're kind of looking for algorithms that just win more than they lose, basically. This is a good question. Should people take trading like a full-time job in order to make some profit? No, don't quit your J job to trade. You need to, like I said before, you need to have an actual edge, an actual strategy, and an actual idea of how you're going to execute these trades. And it's best to just have multiple income sources and don't trade with money you can't afford to lose at all. Okay. I will be the only guru out there that says do not quit your day job until you have proven success trading is dangerous yeah and you would want to start with something small and simple and figure out what your edges are first before you throw your life savings and stuff at it yeah so and then the answer rue he says that he's a long-term buy and hold investor. Are there any asset classes he trades that we he would recommend? Oh, like macro? I don't deal in that kind of stuff. My longest time horizon is usually seven days. And the reason I trade the S&P is because when I'm creating a portfolio, it's just to have index exposure. But my overall objective in that portfolio is to have basically a portfolio that has no correlation to the overall market, meaning my returns are not correlated to the S&P. What is the trading equivalent of a cannon rush? What is the trading equivalent of a cannon rush? Interesting. That would be someone we call like a piker. Someone that gets in and tries to make as much money as possible in the least amount of time. Hmm. So they just get really risky, go all in on something that they're yes. telling them Apple's about to win big, dude. Yeah, exactly. So they'll bet their entire their entire account on trying to get the smallest move possible. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and sometimes people make a lot of money. There is a girl that I knew that she made $700,000 in one trade. And she at least had the forethought enough that um, she was like, yeah, I'm just I'm not going to trade for a while until I understand what I'm doing, because basically the stock went from like $5 to $100 or something insane. And she was just completely lucky. And that would be someone that developed a bad habit, but got rewarded for it. Uh, sh had she continued down that path, but she was at least smart enough to realize like, yeah, I had no idea why that works. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that would be the equivalent of a cannon rush because cannon rush, you know, if you go all in, it better work or you're dead. Yeah. And if someone knows how to shut it down or in this case, if the, uh, 
trade doesn't end up being beneficial, then you pretty much lose the game. You're just way too far behind. Exactly. Uh, there was a question from Wanderer. Is it worth it to try and test the waters first, like go in with a small amount and see for results, or do you need to make a big investment to get started? We kind of mentioned this before of like for any given domain within trading, there's different quote buy-ins using the poker term, but for someone starting out for the first time. Yeah, so the fortunate part about the day and age that we live in is, is that there are trading simulators. So you could test an idea, your thoughts, come up with your own strategies in real time on a simulator. Uh, all you'd have to do is just pay for the, the software to do that. So very low barrier to entry. Um, now, I will say this though, a lot of people have a hard time transitioning from paper money to real money and that's just because the emotional aspect comes in so i guess it's a double-edged sword in that way but if you were just looking to get your feet wet just to like test out what trading is and what's all involved and placing orders and all of that then you can just use a simulator what are the names of some of those so most platforms have simulators like I use TradeStation because they have the ability you can program, you can automate right on their platform. They also have a, you know, it comes with basically a SIM account if you want to do it. And then there are things like Thinkorswim is for free. They also have a simulator. You just have to call them and tell them you want live streaming data um, so you can simulate those trades that you want to do uh you really have to learn each platform though like they're not all the same for sure but you can do it that way. i think your swim is free i don't like think swim. i used to have them as a broker the problem is is that in real time when volatility is really extreme the platform just shuts down and when you have actual money on the line it's not a great thing that happened to me like a couple times and i was like all right i'm i'm done i'm moving my account so and you would use the sim to figure out what your edges are. Like you're saying you can make algorithms within the sims. Yeah. So in trades and trade station specifically, they have their own programming language. Uh, it's called easy language. Um, and you can learn how to program, create strategies in there, back test them, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There is trade navigator is also pretty good. They're, broker agnostic meaning you don't have to you can hook up different brokerages to their platform and trade off of that because a lot of a lot of brokerage houses have platforms but a lot of them are really bad but TradeStation is really good underneath that is trade navigator underneath that would be something like thinkorswim underneath that is just like any run-of-the-mill platform you can find a lot of people like trading view as well so mm -hmm. there are a lot a lot of options seems like there's a ton of depth to this it was uh, awakening <laughs> for me whenever i hit poker and realized that i was completely dumb and ignorant of everything and then i had to gradually learn page by page reading some books and figuring out what my strat was going to be what kind of poker player i wanted to be and how I was going to practice and train and kind of refine skills over time, which it seems like you had a, a similar route in that sense of getting excited about 
trying it out and then learning the skills necessary. I'm sort of thinking about trading as a big dragon and your sword is your programming skills of being able to build and train these algorithms. Yeah, it's not easy to do. And you can never flat out just beat the market. Like, you can never just, like, feel good about yourself uh, conquering it. Like, it doesn't exist. Mm. Or at least that I've never found. So the dragon, I guess, in this sense, will always be with you. They'll just become sometimes a pet and sometimes a demon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, this is, this is cool. And I think the neat part about you is, is like you have a vast understanding of the similarities between StarCraft and poker and all of that kind of interrelates into trading strategies and way to think about markets. And there are, a huge combinations in ways of like trading so of how mm -hmm. to trade yeah and your method is just one of quite a few that could potentially work and be successful as a full-time gig sort of a thing yeah i think a lot of people want to turn it into a full-time gig i just trading is hard <laughs> and i would not quit a day job to trade unless you can prove that you actually have consistency doing it mm -hmm. and be aware of the people peddling the get rich quick schemes if it seems really easy it's probably wrong yeah and i would say you know for all of those people out there that like hate on education and hate for people that promote services and all of that stuff like you know take it with a grain of salt understand that most of the education out there can be found online for free okay i have tons of free content i'm not shoving it in people's faces you know but a lot of people are because that's their main source of income and like that's just the grind and you have to use your best judgment of that person to understand like okay do they actually know what they talk about they're talking about or is this all just to get me to sign up for a course and understand that any single one of you, any single one of you can take an expertise that you have and turn it into educational content. There's no requirements. And if people want to pay you for that, capitalize on that. There's nothing wrong with that. But this blanket statement about educators being bad or they shouldn't be paid if they're really making money from trading, you know, in my case, I have a hundred hours of stuff. Why would I give that away for free? Another comment was, uh, you know, you know, if you had an edge, why would you give it away? Why not? I have trading systems that people can subscribe to that have been live for four years and it's returned over six figures. Okay. It's all documented in real time. So it's a business proposition of you can trade the algos that I've given and you'll pay me uh, $3,000 for the whole year, but you have the potential to make twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in a year. And last year it made $113,000 per one contract. 
So I'm not selling snake oil in that sense. Okay. It's like you have to determine what's best for you, but blanket statement, that kind of stuff, I think is very naive. And I hope that if any of you have a skill set that you sell it and make a living from it, because for me personally, it's been enjoyable. I get to do what I want when I want do the thing I want and teach people about the thing that I love to do anyways. How cool is that? Same thing goes for Nero. Love Starcraft also offers coaching. Period. It's not a yeah. bad, it's not a bad thing. Like you guys have to open up your mind a little bit. Are there people out there that are snake oil and all they're serious about is, you know, uh, selling courses? Absolutely. But I think it's very naive for all of you that just live in that box of, oh, he's selling courses. Why would he do that? This is bad. Very naive. Well, with the like modern format of earning money, especially in the US, we have a very entrepreneurial spirit about us where if you can make a business out of something, that's something you should be proud of and you should go rock that. Um, within esports and any domain where there isn't a really well-established rate for different services, you need to be able to define what your rate is and also protect yourself from being pulled into a bunch of like free favors of other people. Like you can't go to your landlord and say, well, I taught this person how to do this thing with Python, so I should be able to have rent this month, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you actually need the rent money. Finding if trading works for you, it reminds me of people who they're finishing high school, going to university, and they pick a major. Like a lot of times you pick a major based on what you think that career entails and you want the results of that career path, but you might not actually enjoy the day-to-day -day mechanics of what the work actually is. Right. So by, by seeing the videos, by trying out Sims, you could see if it's something that you might enjoy. Because I know I started my bachelor's in computer science and I did that for a year. And it was like, eh, I, I didn't really stick for me in a way that I felt like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Uh, I veered a little bit toward math after that and then toward psychology. And then I found out from my uh, psychology advisor that I was three semesters closer in graduating with co uh, cognitive science instead because a bunch of my math credits didn't transfer to psychology. So I think be prepared to uh, realize some stuff that you didn't know before and that can shift the perspective. We romanticize what a lot of professions are like, and we think about the good parts of it. One of the most hilarious examples is we've had so many Pirates of the Caribbean movies now. People are like, yeah, being a pirate, that sounds cool. <laughs> no, it's not like it is in the movies. <laughs> yeah, or I would even extend this to being a streamer. Like you stream, I romanticize streaming. I'm like, man, that would be a cool job. I love video games and it'd be awesome to like have a channel where people just like watch me and do donations. And it's like all this like grassroots, uh, you know, things where people are paying me for my content. I, I don't know. It's just like a very cool idea. And then you realize like, okay, every day you got to wake up, do your thing then go on stream. And you're probably just going to have like two people. For like yeah. a really long time. <laughs> and then you've got to make content on top of that. So your life is just never ending. So it's not really like. This grandiose thing, it's it's real work, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just think people romanticize almost everything. Even the past. Oh, man, they were such yeah, a great person. It's like, no, that dude was a dick. <laughs> you know. That's the golden age fallacy. I think we tend to keep a lot of the memories of the good stuff that happened, and we delete a lot of the stuff that was more boring or inconvenient. So it looks better in the right. past uh, in our memory than it actually was i think you forget a lot of the tedium and you remember the peaks and those like really glorious moments like i remember one of the times when i got the front page promotion i got cannon rushed and then i nightist and won and how that was like a super adrenaline moment because i knew a ton of people were watching more than usual but then you forget a lot of those streams where you started up and there was a until extreme masters that day so nobody watched you you had like <laughs> 20 people in there some of the regulars are chilling but you got almost nothing in terms of subscriptions if you made that amount every day you could not pay rent and those days are they're kind of rough and people don't think about those days they just see some streamer who's got the hype train going and a bunch of people gifted a whole bunch of stuff and they're like man that could be me i play video games and i'm pretty funny <laughs> right well this is a lot of fun yeah i know yeah dude thanks for coming on i appreciate you having me on Thank you, Nero Chat. Thank you guys for all the questions. And uh, hopefully you can do this soon. Hell yeah, yeah. I'm going to get some food. Appreciate your time, dude. Yeah, you too. Best of luck in your endeavors, and we'll see you around. All right, peace, bud. Swarm them.